Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. We're going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Before we get into that, <clears throat> we uh, just wanted to go over something. We had people writing in about recently. We talked about our DEXA scans, and that's where it's a it's a body fat scan. We've talked about that dual X-ray. It's able to scan lean mass, and then scan, or actually, I should say, it's able to pick up fat, right, and the, all the fat on your body, and then also it gives you a readout of that. Somebody mentioned that in certain states, Utah is one of them that it actually you have to have a prescription to get a DEXA scan. Kind of crazy, huh? So uh, certain states are, uh, you have to have a prescription. In Nevada, we're lucky. We don't have to, which is pretty nice. Uh, they also, I had one or two people actually recommend Bod Pod or ask if Bod Pod was the same thing. Basically, that's a pressure chamber that you sit in. And they say that it's a replacement for DEXA. It's basically the same thing. And it actually isn't. So it uses pressure. To, and, and variable pressure to be able to figure out your fat mass and your lean mass. It's a pressurized chamber you sit in, but the thing is it doesn't give you a report that breaks down limb by limb and like your, your Android and gynoid regions into quadrants. It doesn't break all of that down and show you lean mass and fat mass in those areas. And that's something that we really like about the DEXA scans is the fact that we can see where the change is happening and what exactly is happening instead of just having an overall number. Cause for just an overall number, those Tanita scales, we've found the BF 6840W, I believe is Pretty the great. one. Yeah. It's like 50 bucks and it works really well. So, uh, that would give you more or less the same data. And we found it to be really close and three different scenarios for three people. So, uh, that's what we over, recommend. Over several tests too. Yep. Yeah, we have. Uh, <clears throat> then the other thing, talk about me now instead of Wait, Nate. Nope. Uh, for, there's something we're supposed to look up for this podcast and we forgot. Oh, we did. Was it the vitamin D? Yes, it was vitamin D. Uh, Darn it. Next podcast. Like, we'll do <laughs> Sorry, <next> everybody. Podcast. <laughs> uh, my knee, uh, really quick. A lot of people have asked, I've been seeing people having knee injuries, and I don't know if it's just because they're now putting in like more volume or the season's picking up, but they've been asking about what I've done to, to handle my knee. And I actually just typed this up for somebody recently, so it's kind of fresh in the mind. So things, I've tried pretty much everything in the book, and what you will try or what works for you will probably be different because our bodies are very different in how they function. But I've found that um, just making sure I'm mobile and, and flexible is good. And uh, look up Superman and look up Inchworm. Those are two really easy, quick stretches you can do that can help, you know, relax your posterior chain and stre or stretch out your posterior chain, but also uh, stretch out your glutes. And then Superman will stretch out your the anterior stuff, like your psoas, like Chad was talking about last week. Uh, I foam roll, but I don't do a lot of it in, in terms of like, I don't, you know, really just reef on the side of my legs the whole time. And I try to just, just do that to get all of my muscles to relax if they need it. And, uh, I've tried dry needling, plenty of things like that. But to be honest, the biggest thing that I've found is I make sure that I am limber, but then I have to make sure that I'm putting due attention to making sure that I'm activating my glutes. So clamshells and a good tip to be able to make sure you're uh, activating your glute med is put your back against a wall when you do your clamshells. And if you do that and put your head up against the wall too, that'll really isolate that muscle when you do your clamshells. So that's one thing. And then I do a good amount of like, uh, or like low weighted squats that are high rep that are high reps. So then basically you're just focusing on technique with that, that helps. And then, uh, like one legged squat variations, those things 
help have helped me a lot uh, you, to be able to do that. If you have an overuse injury on your knee, um, even lightweight squats can just yes. make mm-hmm. that worse. So it's like Jonathan's his first comment was the best. It's all different. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard to say. This yeah, and I've, I found that even the tight psoas, and if I can make a quick correct, correction, last week I said uh, psoas was short for iliopsoas. That's not correct. That's the combination of the iliacus and the psoas is termed iliopsoas, just, to, just gotcha. to be clear on that. And then, uh, but from stretching my psoas, I've actually had a little bit of relief in some of the knee pain I was experiencing too, which has yep. been a fun, fun carryover. That's crazy how that all happens. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so tied together. Yeah. Yeah. So just making sure that, that those are the things that have worked for me. And like Nate said, though, if you have pain, like inflammation, you really do have to give yourself some time to be able to get that inflammation down before you make any progress. Uh, that's what I've found. So, and just, just try to research as much as you can look up yoga exercises to relax your hips. Uh, so like hip, uh, uh, I guess hip stretching yoga and you can find a lot of different uh, quick stretches and positions you can do that can help with that too. So uh, that covers that. Now, Chad, we kind of teased something last mm-hmm. last week. Ooh, uh, you've got something cool coming up. Yes, I do. It's so. going to be happening. So it, it isn't in the it United States. It has started. States. My involvement in it has not. Okay, so oh, okay. it's mm. overseas. It's overseas. It involves a lot of climbing. How many? And is not it more a lot than of one miles. Day, or is it one day? You think it's uh, several days. So it's six days. So let me break this down. So it's it's overseas, <laughs> several days, lots of climbing. Yeah. Anything else we should know? What language do they well, speak you, in this country? Italian. And you will be doing six days, not three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So there's other <laughs> people doing point. this. Chad, do you want to say what it is? It's the Giro d'Italia. I get to. You're doing the Giro d'Italia? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been, Team I've Sky, been signed team to Team Sky. They picked <laughs> me up last minute. No, definitely not. I'm, I'm going over with uh, Trek Travel, and I'm going to do the latter uh, week of the Giro d'Italia, which includes the sixteen stages 16, 17, and 18 routes, um, one of which we get to ride the day that the athletes ride it prior to it. Then we get off the course, they come by, we get back on it, and then we go to the hotel bar and watch it finish. Um, another one of the days we ride it the day prior to them and we ride the whole route, which um, I'm guessing will already be thronged with people. So that'll be pretty motivating or humiliating, depending on how I'm going. <laughs> They'll cheer you on. But it's a, it's a big deal in terms of uh, climbing in particular. I mean, the first day is just a 20 mile ride and it's got 3000 feet of climbing. Wait, so over 20 miles. Describe what trek travel is. Um, so trek bikes, you know, the tre- they, they have uh, organized basically uh, tourists sort of, there are different levels of it. You can do super recreational, you can do almost self-guided, and then you can do uh, different levels of routes over the course of it. So so over each of these six days, I have like a, a moderate option and an avid option. And I'm, you know, choosing all the avid options, but we'll see how that plays out. It's, so it's, chat. It's, a, it's a cycling vacation where you, you pay a flat That's a amount. That's better way to put it. And they vacation. don't, you pay for your flight, but then they handle everything for you. They give everything. you a bike. They give you food, you get uh, equipment, mechanic, hotel, other people, access to Trek uh, riders, mm-hmm. right? Who's Supposedly, I don't know that we're going to interact much with the teammates, but we get a behind the scenes on one of the days where we get to see the travel bus, you know, the mm-hmm. Trek Secretary bus, meet the cooks, the mechanics, the, maybe some of the soigniers, uh, maybe some of the riders. I mean, I imagine they're not going to be super social at that time of day, having done what they do and I what would. they have to do the next day. So I don't yeah. expect to see the riders, you know, maybe just a glimpse of one and a hi, how are you? But uh, most of the interaction will be with the, the people behind the scenes. Mm. And um, so full disclosure, we're paying retail. We have no affiliation yeah, no. with Trek. No. Um, 
So and it's horrible, I'll be honest, but I expect it's going to be pretty amazing. Oh, <laughs> well, you'd be honest no matter what, I hope, even yeah, if yeah. someone, even yeah. if they were paying retail. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, but who's paying for this, Chad? Trainer Road. Trainer Road. Everyone's like, <laughs> I wish I worked for Trainer Road. We're sending Chad to do this. It's pretty yep. sweet, man. And over the course of this six days, um, like I said, stages 16, 17, and 18. So these are, they almost have back-to-back queen stages this year. Yeah. We're doing the Gavia, the Motorola, the Stelvio, Umbriel Pass, Valparolo, Paso Fadaya up to Fadaya Lake. I mean, it's it's amazing. They, I get to see basically every aspect of the Dolomites I want to. Mm. That's And if there's one spot where I could ride a road bike in the world, it would be the Dolomites. Mm. Just looks amazing, man. Looks so cool. This you, is going to be really sweet. If you like it and you want to do it next year and you need a companion, <laughs> I'm sure I can talk to uh, somebody to get Trainer Road to pay for me too. Um, so Chad, how are you? You're going to be in Italy. Mm-hmm. Never been to Italy? I've never been to Europe, period. Never been to Europe, period. So it's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. How are you going to eat and drink for a six-day? Ravenously. I'm, 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 there, <laughs> there are no limitations. Butter coffee every day? Oh, no. No, I mean, it's <laughs> going to be baguettes and whatever. I don't know. I don't know what to expect, quite honestly. I'm going to eat whatever sounds good. This is a good, this is a good point, is Chad's just going to eat. He's going to experience the culture, mm-hmm. not care about anything else. Nothing. Be full. Probably get drink drunk once in a while. Wine. I'm going to drink a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah, a lot of wine. So just kind of really enjoy it. This yep. isn't like a training camp fitness thing you're trying no, to No, no, but that will be one of the outcomes for sure. Yeah. I'm going to come back with a whole lot of miles and a whole lot of climbing in my legs. Even if you uh, ate horribly. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you, so. Well, that's the beauty of it. I mean, these days are so long. For, so let me give you a couple examples. So day two and three, just those two days, um, 75 miles with 11,000 feet of climbing. <sighs> Then the next day is 62 miles with 11,000 feet of climbing. So we're not talking high mileage, but we're talking a whole lot of elevation. Yeah. So how many kilojoules do you think that'll be for you? Oh, man, I can only imagine. There's 4,000? Probably. 5, probably. Like in the four or 5,000 ballpark each day. And your basal metabolic rate, I think, was right around mine, 2,200? Mm-hmm, 22-ish. 22. So 6,200 calories in a day to eat. Yeah. Um, Certainly not going to count calories, but yeah. Maybe 7,200. <laughs> so it's a lot of, that's a lot of food. I'm going to have to eat a lot. Yeah. 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 Someone's and this isn't going to be a, a no-cho sort of endeavor. I mean, I'm going to be working pretty hard, so I'm not looking to shed any fat or really do anything in terms of body composition. Well, yeah, Just that, log some miles and enjoy myself. With that climbing, yeah, I mean, good luck trying to ride it at a oh, yeah. low intensity. Yeah, You're I going... will say they, they've given us proper bikes. So I get a Trek Damani, which is, you know, coincidentally what I just bought. So I basically get my bike over there. And they have it geared with compact gearing. So 5034, is yep. that right? Yep. And then the cog set on, it's 1132. So I'm, nice. I'm set. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That'll be really good. Uh, anything else that you're... So this is this is a lot of time outside in the saddle, a lot of climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't been doing a lot of that recently. Mm-hmm. Anything, any apprehensions you have? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to get my, you know, my hip psoas or my psoas worked out so that that's not an issue because uh, that, that would just uh, make that whole endeavor that much less enjoyable. Um, and... Uh, I think the fitness is there. I'm not. I'm not worried about getting through it so much You'll as. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's fairly social too. I mean, one of the days we ride up to a lake or something and have lunch, and then we complete the ride. So it's not like we're you know tongue out trying to get this done in in, in the quickest manner possible. I, I want to see them start and chat. Just sprint off the line. <laughs> just keep looking keep back. Up. Yeah, yeah, and just go by himself. About his anti-chat, yeah. And then no. tell everyone yeah. about how fast you did it. And if, <laughs> and if there's love that. one of those guys there, I'm just going to watch him leave because I'm not going to be part of that. Yeah, that's going to be an awesome trip, man. I'm excited. Yep. Um, I'll be watching to see if we can see you cheering on the side of the road. Yeah. Um, let's go into David's question. He says, 
Hi, love the podcast. Always learning new things from it. I have a question about lactate threshold and more generally, what limits aerobic performance? According to Rich Gibbons, recent studies have shown that there is no lactate threshold and that lactate is produced not by anaerobic muscle conditions, but by carbohydrate metabolism. And the lactate is actually an energy source for the body. He says, I'd like to know your thoughts on Gibbons summary. And if you agree, does this mean training your body to burn more fat at higher power is a great way to improve? And he says in quotes, lactate threshold. If you have time more generally, I am curious what you think of the central governor theory of fatigue, which Gibbons supports and how it could be used to improve training. Love to hear Chad's and Jonathan and Nate's thoughts on all of this. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, let's go back up here. David display that whole, yep. So David, uh, last thing I want to do is argue with an expert. Um, Rich Gibbons probably knows a heck of a lot more about this topic than I do. Probably. Um, (laughs) yeah, probably, (laughs) but, uh, I'm, I don't want to pick this apart. I don't know what he means by there's no lactate threshold. I do know there is a a lactate steady state where you're working hard and your body's clearing the lactate at some point it can no longer clear it that much is inarguable. And it happens to coincide, you know, pretty closely with FTP, which is, is our proxy for lactate threshold. So the fact is you can achieve a lactate steady state, uh, at least for you know, an hour at a time, you know, maybe if you were to drag that same power out for longer than an hour or, you know, longer than 40 minutes, whatever it is for you, it will incrementally rise. So maybe that's what he means by there isn't an actual sustainable or threshold that just hovers there. Regardless, I, I'm, again, I don't want to argue it. The fact is there's a correlation between muscle fatigue and lactic accumulation, um, whether it's hydrogen ions and it's pretty much established that it is. Um, these two things are so closely correlated that we can use lactate to say where our threshold, you know, where our sustainable power, our lactate steady state occurs. There's a lot of confusion about this. I, I like a lot of people and it makes sense in our brains, right? We think acid and we think lactic yeah. acid and we think it burns. Lactate and the acid burns where are, it is. are two different components and calling something lactic acid is, is problematic. But the, the fact is lactate is actually energy. It is cycled back into the aerobic, um, aerobic metabolism, aerobic metabolic system, and it does get metabolized through, through the Krebs cycle. It's actually fuel. It's not, it's not acid. It's not what causes that muscle fatigue or the burn. Mm, yeah. So and there's a bunch of different theories on what exactly, like w- why we, we feel that burn and everything else. But yeah. And then as far as the central governor theory, Tim Noakes theory, I'm a big proponent of pretty much everything Noakes does. He's a super bright guy and he's not afraid to admit when he's wrong. So what is the central governor? Theory? Central governor theory says that uh, very basically that our minds or our brains are the limiter. So there's a protective mechanism inside us that reduces muscular recruitment. It says mm-hmm. we're working too hard to sustain this. This will harm our body. We're going to cut you back. And it's a subconscious thing. It's not something that we can control except through training. You know, we can basically adjust that central governor by showing our bodies what it can can handle. And subconsciously that governor supposedly relents a bit and allows our performance to improve. Yeah. Surprise there's no doping where somebody's tried to like, you know, change <laughs> right. the signals in your brain so that it's just like, nope. Uh, you could just die. Yeah. Well, go as hard as you want. Or perhaps there is. <laughs> yeah, perhaps there is. Perhaps yeah. that is going on. We don't know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. I, I, there are a lot of misconceptions about that. And and so hopefully that's that's somewhat cleared it up. It is, there There are a lot of different like theories on exactly why that exists too. So yeah, and it's, you, for, for our you know, purposes, it's not all that useful. I mean, we've talked about before how mm-hmm. difficult it is to measure lactate. You have to do a blood draw. I mean, we're, we're just simply not, most people aren't equipped to do that. And if you are equipped to do it, how willing are you to do it, especially out in the field? It's just not a realistic way to, to measure performance. It's a lot easier to look at a power meter. That's what I, as my point was going to be is all of that stuff, no matter what the answer is, it doesn't change how you're going to train. So yes. 
And the one thing we know is that if you train with power following the, the established models, it, it's a great way to be able to manage your we, training and get faster. He has another question. If you scroll back up about <laughs> yeah. the fat burning. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says that – what are your thoughts? Uh, where does he say? He says, uh, he says, does this mean training your body to burn more fat at higher power is a great way to improve lactate threshold? Well, it's – that's another thing that's like as your FTP goes up, you're going to burn more fat at that same power. And as you, as you burn more calories, you're also burning more fat. So it's, that's kind of like a... So as you become more aerobically efficient, you're still util- utilizing fat at a higher power output, which means you aren't metabolizing carbohydrate, which means you aren't metabolizing or you're not et- metabolizing as much carbohydrate and therefore not producing as much lactate. So your lactic threshold will in, fa- in fact rise. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of like chicken and the egg. Like, right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So hopefully that's cleared up some of it. It's probably not. Probably not. But But if one thing gets across, if you feel burning, know that it isn't lactic acid burning. Just don't get in the weeds on that. It's, it's, again, look at your power meter, do an FTP test, be consistent, uh, progress your workouts. I mean, there are a lot of other things to concern yourself with. Yep. Ziv, he says, as a triathlete, when trying to hit the inner, the interval power goal, what is more important? Hitting the actual power goal, power goal, or staying in arrow position. Does the length of the interval have any ap- impact on the answer? For example, should I go out of arrow in short intervals or stay in my arrow position in longer ones? Great question. Mm-hmm. A good question. <clears throat> yeah. So, in terms of conditioning your body, it's all about power. You know, we want to um, become uh, better. You know, faster. And to do that, it's pretty important that you hit your power targets. Um, as far as staying arrow, that's kind of icing on the cake, uh, sort of. I mean, that comes later. You have to be able to do both, especially as a competitive triathlete. Mm-hmm. So, so worry about the conditioning first, but over time, you should be able to hit those same numbers in your arrow position. If you can't, something's got to give, and it's probably you know uh, some position tweaking. For those that aren't triathletes, this, this also applies. So don't tune oh, out certainly. if you're not just a triathlete. Certainly. We're talking drop bars. And even Nate, you switched from your cyclocross bike on the trainer or mountain bike to your cross bike mm-hmm. now. And you also were going through a situation for a while where you were wondering if your position was even changing your power output there too, right? I don't think it was. <clears throat> right. But it's it's always, a. I guess that yeah. my point is that we're just the position that you're on on the bike. And it doesn't have to be arrow bars in a, for a triathlete. Yeah, the more the more severe your position, the more you limit that hip angle, the more you you know crunch your breathing muscles. It, it can have an impact, a, a very substantial impact on power output. So, Chad, um, and then that uh, second part of his question is that what you're talking about? Go ahead. Oh, no, okay, answer that. One. And the second part of the question, um, as far as long intervals versus short ones, long intervals are going to tend to be lower intensity, which makes it a little easier to stay arrow. So, you know, that's a great place to start spending incrementally longer periods in that arrow position. I mean, then the short ones are typically high intensity intervals. I mean, if you're doing VO2 max repeats, doing them in an arrow position isn't really my aim ever. I don't, I don't think it's purposeful to combine those two things. So what I was going to say is to re- reiterate what you just said, let's say you do five, 10 minute intervals and you're a triathlete mm-hmm. and the first interval you can get six minutes in and then you just can't hold arrow position. Mm-hmm. You're saying then get out of arrow, finish at the same power goal. The next one, try it again. And maybe the next time you do that workout. So you go through the whole one and maybe in the last interval, you can't be in arrow position at all. Yeah. But the next time you do the workout, that first interval, try to hit seven minutes, yep. right? And constantly do that. But 
it's a process, but but power has to be prioritized. Yeah. So over time, you'll grow those intervals, those uh, arrow durations, and, and it'll come together over time. Again, assuming your position is a tolerable one. So what you're saying not to do is it's kind of almost like a bailout. It's the first level bailout is if you can't hold yes. arrow, sit yeah, up. Great. Exactly. But don't do if you have that ten minutes, be an arrow, and then just stop pedaling. Or just minute. watch your power fall, fall, fall. Yeah, or or turn the workout down, that kind of thing. Hope that, hope right. that clears it up. Yep. Uh, Justin, he says, hey guys, love the podcast, five stars for it and the app. I have a question about how I should handle my current situation. I just moved to Austin, Texas, and have been loving the riding out here. We have amazing hills and great weekly, a great weekly crit series called the driveway series that lasts from March to late September. I've seen a lot on that series and it's, yeah, it looks awesome. I want to do it. So it looks really fun. If I ever find myself randomly in Texas during that time, I'm going to try to hit up one of those races. So says, I really want to keep training in the tr- training on the trainer as it, but as it gets warmer, I'm finding it increasingly harder to stay indoors, not necessarily because of the lack of motivation, but because of a lack of cooling, it's getting warmer and more humid. And even with the recommended air King fan that you guys have mentioned, plus turning my a- air conditioner on, I just cannot seem to finish the sustained threshold workouts. I'm afraid I'll lose fitness as it gets hotter if I do. And if I don't do indoor training, but I can't even finish it. So I may just end up losing it regardless. Any suggestions are welcomed. We deal with a very different uh, environment, I would say, yeah. first off. Humidity is never a concern for us. That's it certainly isn't. Yeah. Um, the air conditioning, I would think, in that situation would be key to dry out the air uh, for you a bit. Uh, but as you said, your AC doesn't seem to be helping a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, you could try working indoors at lower intensity levels, like sweet spot and below, and, and, mm-hmm. and saving the, the longer, harder stuff for outside. But I'm not sure outside is going to be all that much of a, an improvement. We have changed something here at Trainer oh, Road. Yeah, that too. Yeah, and new we, fans. We, I, I have changing our recommendation from the Air King. We now have bought, I think, 15 of these fans. <laughs> That's a lot. The, I think it's Lax, Lasco. 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 L-A-S-K-O. Max Performance Fan. I don't know, um, I don't have the exact model number in front of me, but just buy the most expensive one that they have. And this is a, it's a pivot floor fan floor fan so it's 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 small and boxy it has a little pivot in it and it's something that you'd use to like dry the floor but it is extremely directional and guys back yeah, me and, up. It, and it's not a circular fan is it like a little turbine in there it has a turbine like a rotational turbine inside so it's basically like a whole array of fans on a little cylinder yeah, and it's this like s- slit like vent that faces you and it's really directional i mean you can yes. you can put it exactly where you need it and boy do they work well the one that we like is about 90 bucks on amazon and um, they have a whole bunch of different levels. So we like mm-hmm. the, I've just bought the, the one that puts out the most air. So you can look for that model, find out which one puts out the most air. I'm using two of them. Huh. It's it's amazing. It feels like a 30 mile per hour window. I've only used two. one. I haven't even needed a second one yet. Yeah. So they're pretty impressive. I put, I use one and it is just about, mm, I'm on the rollers. So I'm slightly elevated here, but once again, you can change the angle. Uh, but I have it about a foot in front of my front tire and at a foot in front of my front tire, I have it angled right toward, I would say kind of like my neck and chest. I get a little, I get just enough on my face, but then I, it really cools off the rest of my core and it is really, really effective. It's a great little fan and it's not, it's, it's, 
it's very directional. It channels a whole bunch of air at you, but it's not so directional that it just like hits like a few square inches of your body type of a thing. Like I, I personally, it hits my, like I said, angle it at my neck area and it gets my face, it gets my core yeah, and it's so, just really effective. So cooling obviously is the big deal here, Justin. Um, those threshold workouts are probably the biggest burners in terms of mm-hmm. how, how they ramp you up uh, as far as offloading heat. Mm-hmm. You get super hot and you stay there for a long time. So that's that's the height of it. I mean, VO2 max intervals may ramp you up higher, but they don't keep you there very long. All the lower intensity stuff doesn't ramp you up quite so high. So you're looking at the the, the most difficult one to to surmount. Another thing is in Texas with the higher humidity, it's harder to get that evaporative cooling mm-hmm. than it does in, in, totally in Reno is. where we have a very low humidity. Yeah. Um, I think too, people don't realize how much energy you produce as you're cycling. I have, um, and where I work out in my office, it's a fairly big office. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but I, like I can raise it 10 to 15 degrees yeah. by yes. doing a 90 minute ride. And that's, that energy is like, it's my body producing that heat. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy, that's right? A dry office too. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, well, the, the, the dryness doesn't affect the temperature level, but I also raise the humidity. I have both, I measure both and I can see it go up as I work out. Yeah. Occasionally I will turn the AC down, but my AC is also hooked up to like an, another central room where some of our support agents work and I'll come out and I'll be in coats. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying not to do that, but. Yeah. It's, it's kind of tough. Like Nate said, the one thing that you'd want to do is you want to make sure if you are sweating in that environment and it is humid, you're doing as much as you can to pass air over the, as much of your body as possible uh, to try to get some evaporative cooling. And but and some acclimation is going to happen over time. And if you're going to race in conditions like this, it does make sense to train in conditions like this. But uh, good point. You'll adapt. Yeah, to some to extent. extent. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just, <clears throat> I would personally, Justin, get that better fan. Maybe get two fans too if you get really hot. I like the two fans because I have one pointed at like my 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 stomach chest kind of my diaphragm and then another pointed at my head mm-hmm. and it also because it's in the ground it kind of hits both legs and both arms so it kind of like from both i, I have one at um maybe 15 degrees on both sides of me mm-hmm. and it really cools me off really well I, I thoroughly enjoy it awesome yeah and and i would just back up what chad said consider the structure of your workouts and and what you're doing I've personally found that if I'm doing like a VO2 workout or anything else that has like those rest intervals in between, it's a lot easier for my body to manage the heat. So uh, if you do have that type of work structured or scheduled or anything else like that, then perhaps see if the effect's the same there. So Steven, uh, he says, good day, gentlemen. I have a question regarding, uh, recovery from a couple surgeries I had this winter and how I assimilate back into a normal training plan. I went through a knee surgery on February 15th. And three weeks later, I decided to have the, or to use the same recovery period to have some sinus and throat surgery done that I had been placing on the back burner for a few years. I figured I was already down and haven't met my insurance out of pocket max. So what the heck? Uh, so this is similar actually to the surgery you had, Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty exhaustive. Uh, so I'll run through the list really quick. He says it included a septoplasty, bilateral, bilateral turbinate reduction, and a uvulectomy. Apparently, I had one of the largest uvulas my ENT had ever seen. Sounds good on dating profiles, but not great in real life. Uh, he says, just a reference uh, on the impact of this surgery. And he says, by the way, breathing is vastly improved and snoring has been greatly reduced already. I may still undergo a sleep study to rule out any additional issues. My question is, how should I assimilate back into my trainer road training plan? I started sweet spot based low volume one after my knee injury, but, 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 but before my surgery, I mustered a 276 FTP with my very minimal pain in my knee. 
Should I scrap that FTP test and start over with a new test and work back up with a pronounced power imbalance between my left and right legs? Or should I just do free ride workouts on trainer road to work back up to a proper balance, uh, power riding condition, and then take a new FTP test at this point in my physical therapy plan, I'm able to fully load and work my knee. And so I can begin to really push the knee on the trainer. So I would like to get moving in the proper and most effective direction as soon as possible. Thanks for all you guys do. So, 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 so your knee, if your knee's up to snuff and you can fully load it as you put it, then, uh, absolutely take a new FTP test. That old FTP is, is gone. Forget about it. Yep. So it's time to see where your fitness is now and move forward. I wouldn't recommend, uh, it, like you said, if you're, if you can already load your knee, no need to do, to ease back in and do free rides. He's saying basically what I hear there is, should I start working out so that I can work out later? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we, we get that a lot and we try to tell people, you know, just dive right in. The, the FTP test is the first thing you need to do so that we can get a, a bearing on where you are fitness wise. And then from there, it's just move forward with a structured plan. So you don't need to train to train, just start training. The other thing you could do is uh, manually lower your FTP. You mm -hmm. could you could start out something lower. That's what I did after my sinus sur surgery. I just set it to something low, and I could do the workouts, and I could kind of feel that they were correct, and then I would bump it up from there. If you I have a good experience base, but I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't recommend winging it if you're new to power based training. Right. The one thing remember an FTP test is going to be as hard as it should be every time, regardless of where your fitness is at. Right. So it's not as if uh, an FTP test. I guess my point is every FTP test will be tough, but that doesn't mean that it's outside of your range if you can do workouts. And just know you might have less TSS that you can take while you're recovering from your surgery too. Yeah, absolutely. Maddox, he says, hey guys, five stars as always. I do all my trainer row workouts on a tax smart vortex trainer. However, when I use my friend's kicker, the workouts suddenly become much harder, even impossible. Do on-wheel versus off-wheel trainers stimulate different muscles? Thanks. Um, no. You. So <laughs> I'm going to be nice here, but... Not all smart trainers measure have, they might say 1.5% power, but right. they're not all there. And you're so, talking accuracy. There. Accuracy, yeah. 1.5% accuracy or whatever they claim. So I'm guessing you are feeling a difference between those two. Uh, again, roll downs could help make them the same. And also the kicker has this advanced roll down thing that you can do through their, their Wahoo app. That's different than the roll down that you do every workout. That one might help. But in general, um, I really, in Trainer Road, we really like to people to use power meters that from like a reliable power meters and use that indoors and outdoors rather than relying on. Okay. I, I, we so we get it all the time where um, a smart trainer's power won't be the same as a power, power meter. meter. Yep. So yeah. just that's another data point for you. Right. And you're not alone in this situation. It's nope. pretty common. We, yep. we see it quite a lot. That's why the whole power match feature on Trainer Road exists so that mm -hmm. you can get the same power data inside and outside. Uh, it uses that power data from your power meter. So, and two, whatever the kicker or the, or the vortex that you're on, we're hoping that those are consistent and they're not changing workout to workout. Because if they're consistent, you should be able to get a great workout. And me meaning that every time you ride the 300 watts, it really is 300 watts. Mm -hmm. Even if the kicker measures that at 320 and your tax measures that at 340. Right. The problems start when 300 one day isn't the same as 300 the yeah. next on which, the same trainer or. Which is hard to verify unless you have a power meter that's reliable and 
Yeah. Perception is a bit of a liar. Exactly. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. So, Chad even says, he's a, it's a great day when you think your power meter is broken <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it's not broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mike, he says, hey guys, I'm 13 weeks out from my A race. It's Canada's mountain bike national championships up in Canmore, Alberta, a former World Cup venue where you guys should ride sometime. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Deal. Yep. Let's do it. He says, I'm following the short power build, then cross country Olympic specialty plans. Uh, those are, for those that don't know, those are plans within Trainer Road. I've also qualified for Leadville, which happens three weeks after nationals. I'm happy to ride Leadville with whatever endurance I develop over my cross-country Olympic focus, which I know from experience and listening to you will be much more than a 90-minute cross-country Olympic race demand. And cross-country Olympic, if anybody's wondering, that's just the normal cross-country race you come across these days. They're usually 90 to 120 minutes, somewhere around there. And it's usually done on shorter laps, so the polar opposite to Leadville. Um, and they're usually on technical rough terrain and Leadville is once again, opposite from that. So, uh, he says, what do you suggest I do in the three intervening weeks between nationals and Leadville? Um, Mike, in that case, I think I would probably take that first week to just, uh, back off the gas a bit. You're probably going to be pretty cooked. Um, so a week of, uh, excess recovery and whether you do that on the bike or off the bike is up to you. Um, and then use that additional two weeks. You could go back and use the taper weeks for the XCO plan, or maybe even use the taper weeks for the XCM. So our cross country marathon plans, since you're going into something like Leadville, um, either way, I wouldn't do much more than taper workouts, just anything that keeps you sharp. You're not really going to build any fitness over those couple of weeks, mm -hmm. but you don't want to lose anything that, that you have built and you want to come into Leadville pre pretty fresh. So you don't want to do a bunch of work over those two weeks. And Mike, even though Leadville is a big race, you're going to have plenty of fitness if you're going to your national championship. Yes. Like you're a fit rider. And obviously you are prioritizing that as your A race and Leadville is like a cherry on top. So everything Chad said is obviously always correct. Always. <laughs> always. <laughs> Unless it has to deal with butter coffee. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Yikes. Burn. Yikes. Throw so down. I, Chad just took a knife butter out. Coffee topic. <laughs> Moving on quickly from that. Um, the one thing that I just want to back up and really emphasize is the fact that in three weeks, it's not like you're going to shift your power profile to be an ideal Leadville uh, candidate. Yeah. It's not like you're going to also make any like massive improvements. Chances are you're going to be at peak fitness, yeah, Honestly, right? Lee, you could, or I'm sorry, Mike, you could probably just enjoy those three weeks and do nothing structured and still have good fitness for Leadville. Right. Yeah. And, and Leadville, I'm guessing is, it sounds like it's just going to be fun. Like yep. this is an awesome race. Why not do it? Yeah. yeah so, and, and also I uh, just, this may, once again, this isn't an N equals one thing, but by the time I get to peak fitness, a lot of the time I need kind of a mental break, right? So maybe that, like Chad said, uh, you know, if, if, if getting off of that structure or doing different structure or whatever it is, just search for that, you know, that release and motivation. He could probably do just about anything and be mm -hmm. fine. He could probably take all three weeks off and be fine. He yep. could take a week off, do like a five hour mountain bike ride, take another four days off, do a five hour mountain bike ride, take them all off do Leadville, be yeah. just fine. Lots of flexibility like, here. Yeah. Since it's not your A race, and I think you could just finish it with your fitness no matter what, you could do Chad was said to be optimal, but don't don't think you have to do that. Yeah, it doesn't I, sound enjoyable. I'd keep riding. I wouldn't I wouldn't be off the bike for three weeks. And I don't think anybody's legitimately suggesting that. We're saying if you did, well, it wouldn't be. Yeah, it wouldn't you could be still it. finish. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yep, yep, you could. I have an idea. He should work on skills for three weeks. He should do like focused working on skills for a while. That's fun. You can go to bike parks or anything like that, or you can just set up little skills areas. 
and that could be a fun diversion from it. Leadville will not allow <laughs> you to say, put those. A lot of skill work yeah, heading into Leadville. Leadville will not allow you to put those on display. Uh, but actually, maybe wheelies. You could wheelie for a while. but um, Wheelie power line. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you did that, you would be awesome. Uh, but the, I guess that my point with that is it's something fun to do that also is going to benefit you and it isn't going to make you, uh, you know, add a bunch of fatigue going into a big day. So that could be another thing you could do to get faster there. Uh, Derek, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast and trainer road. I'm a triathlete and have a half Ironman coming up soon, but no definitive plans yet for the rest of the year. In looking through the training plans for, for after my race, I was wondering if there is any physiological benefit to doing plans like Criterium or your rolling road race plan that differ greatly from what I've been doing as a triathlete. I may do it for variety to prevent boredom from setting in, but was wondering if I might get any benefit out of it along the way. Thanks and keep up the great work. Yeah, you'll certainly get some benefit out of it. And uh, the body responds really well to change. So if you've been doing the same thing for a long time and probably plateauing in the process, doing something that's not vastly different, but certainly different, I mean, uh, different types of efforts is probably going to benefit you more than you realize. Um, and not to mention, it'll keep you psychologically engaged too. So keep it interesting, make it fun. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely of the position that triathletes should always train like roadies when it comes to, I mean, not, not in that they have to be explosive riders, but that they should be able to ride with good rider, riders, run with the best runners, swim with the best swimmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. <laughs> I found that too. Is there any, uh, I guess, Nate, as a person that has done road racing and triathlon, is there anything, I guess, when you go over to, if you are going to be riding with a group or anything else like that, or if you're going to be doing road races or anything else, do you have any guidance, whether it just be so that they don't look like a fool or so that they actually can (laughs) spank them and and kind of show their strengths? Here's the best thing. And people will talk about it if you do this. Mm -hmm. You smoke them. Well, uh, you, if you're a triathlete and you go ride with roadies and you're faster than them, then you get off the bike real quick and do a run <laughs> oh, and you just, you go out of the parking lot to it, like a six minute mile pace. Yeah. Everyone goes, right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard you guys talk it about, hurts. yeah. And when I say it hurts, I'm not talking about, it will hurt you when you do that. It hurts us because so Matt Balzer, he's yeah. a local triathlete, ex-triathlete. National champ. National. Yes. National champ. Multi-time. Yep. Um, he's an incredible athlete. And he shows up to the road races and hangs in with the fastest group. And then he puts his bike up on the bike rack and then goes for a run. And he's not just jogging. He's an extremely fast runner. He actually run, owns a running store, a running company. Yeah. But uh, so <laughs> that's just the... It hurts just, us because we're completely spent, right? Yeah. And we're just so glad the race is over and he's just getting started. So no, I mean, for just regular road stuff. I mean, roadies don't like it if you look like a triathlete, but... Who cares? Like, do whatever you want. Yeah. Show them Sleeveless jersey, no socks, and spank them. (laughs) (laughs) And the one thing that you can do that a lot of us roadies can't do, uh, we're so, number one, if you show up looking like that, we're probably going to go with this guy and discount you. So, number one, you already have an advantage, right? Because we aren't considering you to be a threat as much as, you know, somebody that shows up that looks the part. So you have that going for you. And then the other thing you have going for you, if you're doing like half distance, full distance stuff is you have really good sustainable power. 
you might be able to get away and be that fool. And I'm saying fool in air quotes here, be that fool that goes away early and just holds your own pace while everybody else is looking at everybody, you know, all the normal players yeah, it's, might it, be able to stay. It's funny that you talk about automatically dismissing a triathlete at mm -hmm. first sight, because when I met Matt Bowser, it was out on a ride and I was with another roadie who I was training or coaching at the time. Yeah. And we tried to do exactly that. And Matt kind of <laughs> just hung right in there and then rode away from us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Case in point. Yeah. So, so there, I think that that's a, a, you, you have an advantage, especially anonymity or, or putting yourself in a situation where you can look like you're not the part. So you can, triathletes can, can spank us. So, uh, the next question from Brian, he says, Hey guys, I've been racing early season gravel endurance events while doing sustained power build the medium volume version or mid volume version. And I have a question about how to handle the plan with races. I know the common wisdom is to replace your Saturday and Sunday rides with a race and change nothing else. Does this hold true for these 400 to 500 TSS? And he's talking 5,000 to 6,000 kilojoule gravel races. For instance, should I reasonably be able to do that kind of stress on Saturday, then jump right back into intervals on Tuesday for background. And this, this is my third season. I'm 33 years old, 180 pounds, currently 306 FTP. I'm trying to keep my racing and training productive. Thanks. And just a quick note on him, just for some context, Brian, uh, I, I know who Brian is a great guy. He, uh, used to weigh a, a lot more than that. He's lost a lot of weight and he is a very good steady state, long day rider. So, uh, and he does a good amount of these things where it's just like dirty Kansas, mm -hmm. a target race for him. And he does a lot of those styles. Yeah, Brian, I hope that isn't the common wisdom because I don't want to imply that when you do a big, a big event like that, a big overload that you should be able to jump right back into training. That's typically not how the body responds. And if your body does respond that way, then good for you, but it's, it's, uh, uncommon. So if you do something that's disruptive to, to the structure of the training plan and, you know, vastly exceeds what you were supposed to do on that weekend, you can expect it to take a, a bit longer to bounce back from that before you can start effectively training again. Yeah. I would have to take for something like that. I would definitely alter that week. I would, I would probably skip that Tuesday interval workout, see how I felt on Wednesday and then decide whether or not I was going to hit intervals again on Thursday. I mean, it can, it, it, it may seem like a setback, but it's not. I mean, you got the stress you accumulated over that weekend ride will more than compensate for that single interval workout you're going to skip. Yeah. It, that's huge. Like, mm -hmm. like you're jumping from maybe a 450 TSS week, um, to like a 800, 700, 800 TSS week. So you just have to take that into account. Right. Is and Brian doing lost and found? Uh, Brian won't be doing lost and found. Uh, he's in the Midwest, but he is doing dirty oh. Kansas, which is going to be pretty cool. No, oh, cool. Um, the, the one thing also that I'd add to this is, uh, remember that the stress that you put onto your body, if you don't allow your, your body to absorb that stress through adequate recovery, uh, you're not doing yourself a whole lot of favors and later on down the road, you can just get more fatigued. So, uh, when in doubt, uh, you know, erring on the side of recovery can really be effective, uh, to be able to manage that stuff for you. Let's go on to the next question from Matt. He says, I have a 12 mile time trial on July 8th. Uh, and this was 12 weeks away from when he submitted the question. So we're a little closer to it now. My goal is under 30 minutes. My best time is 3014. And that was in the rain. I'd like to shoot for 27 minutes. What plan is best for this goal? I can put in about three hours daily to train. Thanks. Uh, the 40k TT plan is the best. So even if it says 40k TT, it's not as though your fitness won't carry or I guess uh, scale downward. Um, the fact is it's the same energy system being used in basically the same way. So what you can do for 20k, you could probably 
knock off a little bit in terms of intensity and do for 40K. And then in that workout or that training plan in particular, pretty sure the first workout in, of the week is like something done at 108% FTP intervals at 108, and then they scale down to 102s. But in any case, you're exceeding what you, you your you know, quote unquote 40K TT power, mm. which is exactly what you're going to do in a 20K. So you might find those workouts fit really well, or you should find they'll fit really well with a, a, a half distance TT. Matt, there's two parts of your question that I don't like. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> yeah, the three hours daily is a little... Well, uh, tell us what the whole week looks yeah. like. First, my goal is under 30 minutes, and I'd like to shoot for 27 minutes. I would like to hear those in terms of power. <laughs> so my goal, my, my 30 minutes, I did X watts, and then maybe you could use something like best bike split to identify, mm-hmm. and you could even backfill to figure out what your CDA was. Yeah. Like to, you could say, if you do it in 30 minutes and here's my CDA and you can kind of figure it out what, what your CDA was. What's CDA? Uh, your aerodynamic drag. So how much your coefficient of drag, mm-hmm. how much, how aero you are. And then you could say, you could look up for 27 minutes. You could plug in the numbers and say, I have to do X plus, you know, 30 watts. So you could say, I, w- I would like to gain 30 watts. And that that's, that's a better way to say it than to do a time. Yeah, you can also, with Best Bike Split, you can do a time goal, mm-hmm. and then it'll tell uh-huh. you how much wattage you'd have to do. Mm-hmm. You can also do uh, a power goal, mm-hmm. and then you can also look at the ideal pacing strategy for your given FTP. So you can also really cool. look at speed. I mean, like with uh, Satley, the 40K TT, we know that if you want to do a 52-minute, you have to go 28 miles an hour. If you want to do a 50-minute, you have to go 29, et cetera. And those aren't exact numbers. I can't remember what they are. But the fact is, if you want to be under 50 minutes, you have to... I think you have to be 30 miles and an hour. The yeah, reason that that's problematic you, is because you don't know if it's going to be windy. You don't know what yeah. you're going to come across. And that's why power no, is all, such it's a always going to come down to power. Yeah. yeah. But so <laughs> with Chad's stuff, you don't need best bike split to figure out how, yeah. what speed you need to do to hit <laughs> yeah. a certain time. You can just use some math on that. But the, the other part of Matt's question I don't like is he says, I can put in about three hours daily to train. Um, that's that's not the way to think about it because three hours daily would be more than our high volume plan. Mm-hmm. And there's not many people who can handle the high volume plan, yep. right? So don't think about, about how much time you have to train. Think about how much stress you can accumulate. Mm-hmm. Um, I could arrange my schedule to train three hours a day. It would probably last about five days. <laughs> yeah. And then I would just like I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Yeah, I mean, uh, but and let's just cover this though. If people are unfamiliar with structured interval training, you might be doing, when you do a three-hour ride outside, you, you, you'll oh, yeah. probably be lucky to be getting in an hour of structure. Yeah, you, that, right? well, yeah so, it's, it's the stress, right? So, And, and not, not all stress is considered equal, even though it's TSS. So maybe if I did do three hours a day every day and I, it was 50% FTP every day for three hours, I could probably sustain that for a very long time, maybe even indefinitely. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be getting faster to get to my – or I wouldn't – I wouldn't be getting faster, right? I, I get really good at riding at 50% FTP for three hours. Yep, exactly. That's the key. And and if you don't know how much stress you can take, that I think that the best way to look at it is to look at the interval workouts that are scheduled for it and think and think back to see if you have done similar stuff like that and how hard it was to recover from that. But one thing that we can say is if you step up, if you pick a one that's slightly below and you feel like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine to do this after you know a couple of weeks or so, three weeks, then you can step up again to the mid volume. Yeah. It's always tricky to start high uh, mm-hmm. because then you can put yourself in a hole where you really, it's hard to recover from that. That's exactly right. Always start lower, especially if you're in a structure training because that hole, it could take a while to get out. And when you start on a low volume, you're still getting benefits, especially if you're new, you're mm-hmm. doing those three interval workouts a week. It's, it's huge. Yeah, so, absolutely. Is. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> well, hopefully we've just given Matt helpful tips. Right? Yeah, exactly. So. Helpful tips. 
Paul says, hello, gents. This season, I'll be doing group rides in a hilly area. No races or Fondo rides, though. I completed the general build mid-volume and just started sweet spot base mid-volume, too. I was very inconsistent between the two, uh, though, for a, between the two for a couple of weeks. So I assume he's talking about taking a break between uh, sweet spot base one and sweet spot base two, uh, perhaps, since he's going to be going into general or he completed general build. Then he went back to sweet spot base. Yeah, so we got huh. a little out of order here. And a little out of order. Um, he says, would I get the same adaptation training of uh, training benefits as the sweet spot base mid volume two plan if I skip that? and choose the rolling road race mid-volume plan instead. He mentions, if I'm just doing group rides on weekends, I feel the ro rolling road race plan is more appropriate. If I do the sweet spot base plan, I feel I wouldn't be able to hang, hang with the group uh, at the high-end pace. Cheers, Paul. Uh, it sounds like your schedule is a bit flexible, so I would just I would do both: do the sweet spot based mid volume, and then move into the rolling road race mid plan. Uh, I'm a little confused by the fact that you started with a build plan and then you're going back to base, and now you're moving into a specialty plan. That's not we typically plan things on a base build specialty, and that's the way the that's the way the plans are designed. That's the way they're supposed to work in terms of escalating the stress and uh, making the the workouts more similar to the demands of your events and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that, and let's cover this quick thing though. If you're just looking, like he said, he's just looking at doing group rides on the weekends now. He says he's not going to be doing any races or fondos. So this is more like just a maintaining fitness type of thing. Is a specialty plan, the, since he's going to be on rolling roads, I assume that's why he's thinking that this would be a good, uh, I guess, a good fit for that plan. Would you suggest that somebody just do the specialty plan like that, or would you suggest that they do something like the base plan or, or build just to maintain? I'll answer it. Um, what I think for, so what I'm thinking of as group rides is it's not the punchy kind of stuff that you're going to get in a race. Mm -hmm. So sweet spot is probably okay for the group rides and a build. And, um, it depends. Like if it's like in Reno, we have what's called the drop ride, which is like a race and mm -hmm. you'd want to be punchy for that. But every other group ride I've ever been on people, we're not attacking each other with like explosive movements all right. the time or right. powering up everything. Um, so sweet spot might be just fine. But again, this is kind of a weird question because he's started and build, then go to sweet spot and then go to specialty. And he's all over the map a bit. We right? don't generally recommend that approach. So it's like, which way should I do it for an unrecommended approach? Um, right. And he's, and he's group riding and not racing. So it, yeah, it's the, kind of a, it's kind of, it's almost more, it, you could, you could base it entirely on the nature of the group rides. I mean, if they're really punchy and, and, and uh, yeah. Pretty aggressive, do the rolling road race plan. But if it's more steady in nature, then go with sweet spot base. Yeah. There you go. And just Let's to, do that. And just to clear things up too, uh, the whole our, our training plans build up from your base phase to your build phase to your specialty phase. And you can rinse and repeat on that and and go back through and and do that, especially if you don't have any races that you're really trying to time your fitness for. You can rinse and repeat through that and then you can, you know, have fun with that. Maybe for a while you ride with that group and maybe you are doing hammer rides and and you want to focus on, you know, your sustained power. So you do climbing road race, or maybe one time you do crits. You know, you can you can change it up. So that's the benefit of not having any any specific things you're preparing for there. But the order does help. <clears throat> Rhonda, I'm an older female, former competitive rider at 61 years who had both hips replaced. Last one was replaced a year ago. I'm getting back into cycling again. And my question is that now is that it now takes me about 30 minutes of fairly hard effort to feel warmed up and can put maximum effort out without feeling labored. Is that normal? And will this improve with training? I don't get it. 
She's just takes as, as she ages, she's taking longer to warm up. And that's a pretty common phenomenon. I, I, I deal with that pretty routinely. Um, I've my, my workouts, uh, if I can, I try to warm up longer on the harder days. Doesn't always play out that way. But I have found that as I age, uh, my, my warm ups get incrementally longer um, and it takes me longer to settle into a, a race. I, I find I look down and I don't feel good till about 40 minutes in, if that's any consolation, Rhonda. Yeah, so how long are you warming up right now for races, Chad? At what's your age? I'm 45, and I'll I'll noodle for a good 30, 40 minutes beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it's been argued that that can come at the detriment of of the the race you're about to take part in. But frankly, I need to be warm for it. And I don't do <clears throat> of late. I've been experimenting with simply low intensity warm ups, no high intensity efforts at all. Mm. And Jonathan, there's you, science to support it, so I'm giving it giving it a go. Jonathan, you like a couple hard efforts. In. I do. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually end up preceding things with about 10 to 15 minutes of easy pedaling. It's not tough. And then I get into higher stuff. So I'll, I'll ride for about five minutes at threshold, usually three to five minutes at threshold. And then after that, I'll put out some really sharp, hard efforts uh, that'll be well above threshold, but short in duration. And that's basically the design of for a lot of the warmups that precede the high intensity interval workouts. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of handled. But if you find that those warmups are a little too labored and, and that's understandable, then Rhonda, you should probably spend a little bit of time spending before or spinning before you even start those workouts. Yeah, it's certainly not a bad idea. And it does change over time too. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this that remember back when they raced and they were around college age, they could just mm-hmm. like show up, pull their bike out of their car, line up and then go off the gun. And it's probably not the same anymore, but that's, that's, that's normal. So you're not alone in this situation, Rhonda. Uh, Paul, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast. I have a few questions on caffeine. We talked about this. Um, he says both in training and races, where do you see it being the most useful for training? And he has a lot of questions. We'll we'll roll through them all now and then we'll go back through them. I love caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) Nate's just smiling. A lot of reasons. Yeah. He says, uh, is it best for really getting you up for hard intervals or for helping reduce RPE for longer workouts or both? Does regular caffeine use in training make it less effective when you really need it in races? Do you have a view on whether caffeine helps promote using fat as a fuel? And what's your attitude to taking caffeine in races? Because it's a stimulant, I've had some people regard it as being immoral. But if you keep within the doping regulations, which he says he believes is 400 milligrams, then I don't see the issue. Which that varies, we should be clear, that does vary uh, depending on which country you are in. So... Um, and what's your favorite way to take it? I use high five, zero extreme effervescent tablets during training, then gels during races as necessary. And usually just before big race, big race, I take a paracetamol. It's acetaminophen in the U S uh, plus 150 milligrams of caffeine in tablet form. Sorry for the long question, but I would really value your advice. Um, I would not take acetaminophen before you mm-hmm. train no, a race. Stop. Sure I would stop that right away. The other thing is if it's 400 milligrams, I am doping every day, all day long. Yeah. I find it hard to consider something that's used widely, prolifically, I mean, and and daily, uh, across the day by so many people. It's even in like uh, drinks and like sports gels. Yeah, and gels and it's, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it on that level. Um, as far as it being useful for training, there's plenty of science to back up that there it, that it reduces RPE. So, so in terms of reducing how hard the workout seems, clear benefit, um, so that would, and, and just to touch on that, sorry to interrupt there, Chad, but that would basically, it's like a coughing attack hit us in here. Sorry, uh, it's me. No worries. Uh, the one thing with that, that means that you could work harder and it were, you, whatever you're working at, it would feel less intense. It just doesn't seem as painful. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and as far and the uh, does it promote uh, using fat as fuel? There's good science to back that up too. It increases your rate of lipolysis. So, yep, fat breakdown takes place a little easier. Um, also helps you regenerate glycogen stores post workout. Mm-hmm. Um, plenty of science to back that up as well. And as far as it being less effective when you need it in races, there is there's there's science on both sides of that saying that if you can you know wean yourself off it for a short while, you'll have a greater response come race day. There's also science that says even if you're habituated to ca- to caffeine, it still has an effect come race day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we looked up before, for, at least for in WADA, right? Mm-hmm. That it is on the watch list, but it is not controlled or banned at all. So you can take whatever you want. Yeah. And because I said before uh, many podcasts ago. I said in the Olympics, it was limited to a certain level, and that was true, but then they they changed it, and now it's not limited at all for that. Mm-hmm. But as Jonathan said, I guess it changes by country. Yeah, there are certain like uh, local governing, or I shouldn't say local governing bodies, but uh, I guess I would say like subsidiaries or the, the do- doping agencies in mm-hmm. those regions. And we've had different people write in and say, you know, in Ireland, it's this, or in this country, yeah. it's this. So. so if they say 400 milligrams, like I think a large Starbucks drip coffee like a morning roast is 380 milligrams so like you do that and you take a gel and now you're doping which (laughs) i think probably a lot of people before a race would drink a large coffee and then have a gel with 50 milligrams of caffeine in it oh yeah um yeah, so that, that goes down to, you know, how what our um, method of intake or, or our preferred method is, and mine's coffee, plain and simple. Yeah, I've taken caffeine tablets before fasted rides to try to jumpstart the, the fat burning process, and I honestly, that's just something that I had heard, and I have no clue if that was more effective than not taking it. All right, and with that, we are all wrapped up for this week. We will talk to you all next week. You can submit your questions, remember, at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We do read everyone. Uh, we go through, we come through them, and we put them together in this list every week. So uh, submit them, and we will talk to you all next week. Happy training, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.